All right, so let's zero in on our scripture today, and the sermon is entitled Days of Noah, Days of Lot. And let me read it first. It's at the end of Luke 17, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, to make sense of this section of Scripture, we need to have a picture of, of what was going on in the mind of a typical Jewish person who was alive in the first century. They had a concept that a Messiah would come and overthrow Rome. And uh, that picture, while there's many scriptures that, that you could look at, the primary one is this picture from the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has a dream. And he's very disturbed by the dream. So he calls in his wise men, and Daniel's one of them, and he says, you need to interpret this dream for me. And they go, okay, so tell us the dream. He goes, you're stalling. They go, what do you mean? Well, tell us, tell me the interpretation of the dream, but if you're really wise men, you would be able to tell me the dream and its interpretation without me telling you the dream. And they go, this is impossible. He says, all right, so stoke up the fire. We're going to burn these guys. And Daniel says, I've got this. The God of heaven has revealed the dream to me. 
Nebuchadnezzar, you dreamed of a big statue with a, a head of gold and arms of silver and a bronze middle and legs and feet of iron. And this represents the kingdoms of the world. You're the, you're the gold. And after you will come a silver kingdom, that represents Medo-Persia. And the, the midsection of bronze, that's Greece. And then there'll be a fourth kingdom of iron. That's, that's Rome. Now, um, so, so you're, you're one of many kingdoms. But during this fourth kingdom, a stone from heaven will smash the feet and all these kingdoms will topple. So the Jews had a picture of a sudden overthrow, and those are the keywords, a sudden overthrow of the kingdoms of the world that would happen during the Roman Empire. And Jesus is alive during the Roman Empire, and the question is, is he the Messiah who's going to topple this statue? Now, Interesting, Daniel, in talking about this, says this, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, the Jewish concept dwelt on this word struck. Suddenly, violently, there will be an overthrow of the kingdoms of the world. But this word filled is going to play an important part. They had no concept that when the Messiah came, he would come twice, right? First, not to kill the powers that be, but to be killed by them. And we know that was to, to die for our sins, right? And after rising from the dead, he would ascend to heaven, and he would be gone for a long period of time. They didn't know how long. We still don't know how long. It's been about 2,000 years. But Jesus also made it very clear that he would return a second time in power and glory uh, and in might. Now, the question is then, what are we to be doing? How are we to conceive of the kingdom of God in between his first coming and his second coming? And this word right here, Filled becomes an important word. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, tells, uh, tells some parables about the character of the kingdom during this middle section that we are in right now. So let's first take a look at Luke 17, 20 through 21, and here he's talking about his first coming, his quiet coming, his coming as the Lamb, all right? Then the rest of the chapter, he's going to talk about his second coming. I'm sure when the apostles heard this, they couldn't figure it all out. It, it didn't make sense, but we understand there's this gap in between. So here's, here's how it happens. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Now, what he means is in spectacular ways, like the Messiah gathering an army and having a revolution and overthrowing the power of Rome. That's not how it's going to come. 
You're not going to observe it like that. Well, well, what will it be like? Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. Okay, over there's the castle. Over there's the army. Well, why won't we be able to observe it? For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. If you have the old King James, um, it says the kingdom of God is in you or within you. And a lot of people have, have taken that translation and have said, see, God is in all of us. And uh, all of us have the kingdom of God inside of us. Problem with that is he's talking to the Pharisees here. He, he did not believe they had anything to do with the true kingdom of God. So uh, that, that preposition actually can be translated, and this is how all the more, uh, the, the more modern translations translate it, that the kingdom is in the midst of you, meaning I'm the king standing in front of your face in the midst of this crowd. The kingdom has come because I'm the king standing in the midst of you. Okay. Now, um, Jesus, as I mentioned, in Matthew 13, gives seven parables talking about the character of the kingdom. He says to his apostles, to you it has been given to know the secrets, ESV says secrets, NIV says mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, Greek word mysterion. A mystery in the Bible is something that was, that was hinted at in the old, but is clearly revealed, made crystal clear in the new. So he's going to tell us about this next stage in the kingdom of God. Um, the, the, the period we are in right now. So real quickly, he tells the parable of the four soils. He says the kingdom of God's like a farmer going out and sowing seed. Farmer represents the preacher. Seed represents the gospel. And, and here's, here's the point of the parable. Only one-fourth of the soil responds to the message. The kingdom will first come through not rebellion and revolution, but through the preaching of a message, and many will reject it. Second parable is of the wheat and the weeds. Those represent believers and unbelievers. There's a, a field full of, of wheat and weeds, and they're growing together, and the question is, should we cut down the weeds and preserve the wheat, and the farmer says, no, 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 that'll ruin the wheat. Let them both grow together until the harvest. What's the point there? Believers and unbelievers will be commingled together and grow together and not be separated until the end, until the harvest, okay? In other words, it's not take up swords and kill the unbelievers. It's grow together until the return of the Lord. The uh, parable of the good fish and the bad fish, red fish, blue fish, um, is very similar. A net will gather all the fish, and then at the end of the day, the good fish and the bad fish are separated. Same thing. Wait until the return of the Lord. He will sort out believer from unbeliever. Then there's the mustard seed and the leaven. 
Simple point. The kingdom starts small, like a little seed that grows into a huge tree or a little teaspoon of leaven that penetrates the entire loaf. What, what's the point there? Um, the kingdom is going to, we go back to Daniel, gradually fill the earth during this period right now. Okay. Then there's the parable of the treasure and the pearl. Uh, one man stumbles across an incredible treasure. Another man finds the pearl he's been looking for all his life, and they sell everything they have to purchase the, the field with the treasure and the pearl. What's, what's the point there? That um, this is a heart thing. You enter the kingdom when your heart sees the value of the king, and you're willing to trade everything and even your life itself for the kingdom. So here's the point. The rock from heaven representing the kingdom of God grows gradually, not immediately. It's, it's been about 2,000 years so far, all right? That's his first coming, and these parables talk about the nature of the kingdom. But now, back to Luke 17, Jesus switches almost mid-sentence and starts talking about his second coming. All right. Now, I went through this section verse by verse, and I just lined up words that describe his second coming, 10 of them. And here's what's amazing. They all begin with the same letter, all right, the letter D. All right, so here we go. Jesus is now switching and talking about not his coming as the lamb, but his coming as the lion, not 2,000 years ago, but yet to come. So here's the first word. His second coming, or the period now before his second coming, is characterized by the word delay. He said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Now, whether they're looking back to when, they, when Jesus was actually walking on earth and longing for that, or they're longing for his future return, uh, people debate about that, doesn't really matter. The point is there's going to be a, a, a period of desire where he's not here, and that's right now. Right? Again, they didn't have the paradigm of a two-part coming. They thought it would be once, and he's saying, you need to understand there's going to be a delay in between his first and second coming. Now, um, there are some scholars who have studied the life of Christ and his teaching, and they've said, well, Jesus, even Jesus was confused. He thought that he was going to bring in the kingdom of God, um, and he was wrong. He, he uh, you know, his crucifixion, that was a really unfortunate thing, um, but he was wrong about the date, um, so we need to sort out, we need to find the real Jesus and his, he made mistakes and so forth. No, no, um, Jesus very clearly taught that there would be a delay between his first and second coming right here in verse 22. You know, in, in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, he tells a bunch of parables about his second coming. The first one is the parable of the bridesmaids. There's 10 of them waiting for the, the groom to come. Back then, they didn't have digital clocks. 
They just said there's going to be a wedding on on Saturday or on Sunday or whatever, and the bridesmaids are waiting for the the groom who represents Christ to come. And as he tells the parable, it says this: as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Right? Even in this parable. There is delay. And then our, our favorite parable, right? The parable of the talents. You know, the, the king who represents Jesus calls his servants and gives some money and says, go invest it and I'll come back. And then it says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So here's the deal. While we're in this period of delay, don't be like the foolish bridesmaids who fall asleep. Don't be like the one talent person who says, hey, he's not here. I'm unaccountable. I'll do whatever I want to do. And he buries his talent. We are in a time of delay. Second thing, it's a time of deception. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. What he means is that during this this middle period, right? Um, there are going to be false messiahs who claim to be Christ. Okay, I did a little Google, little Google thing on um, how many false Christs have arisen, and I found uh, 65 people who have gathered following. Some just a handful, others like tons of followers. Um, you might be most familiar with. David Koresh. Here's Sung Young Moon uh, over the top, but uh, David Koresh, who claimed to be uh, Christ. Okay, and and let me just say this: if someone tells you Jesus has returned and he's living in a compound in Waco, Texas, with several wives, I wouldn't believe it. Okay. Because, and, and this gets into our third point, because his, his return is going to be dazzling. Look what he says. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. It's not going to be some rabbi in a little synagogue somewhere. It's not even going to be a, a guy in a Vatican somewhere. He's coming in the clouds it will be unmistakable, okay? It will be a dazzling return. In fact, Jesus talks about this in, in the Olivet Discourse. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All right. Fourth thing that characterizes this middle period is death first, right? He says, but first he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You know, it's almost as if as Jesus is talking about his glorious return and the power in the kingdom, uh, it's almost as if he sees his apostles getting really excited 
So he needs to refocus them back on the task at hand, right? Before the glory comes the shame. Before the glory and the power comes the cross, the willingness to suffer and serve. And that willingness to suffer and serve needs to characterize his followers over this entire age. All right? So don't forget about the death and the cross as we get excited about the coming kingdom. Now, number five and six, I'm going to combine them because here's really the heart of, of the teaching. Destruction, oh, uh, destruction and distraction are going to characterize. Destruction will characterize his return. Distraction will characterize the hearts of many people when he returns. All right. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Remember, there was a time when the entire world was destroyed except for one family. And what were people doing while, while this, you know, now Noah was preaching but nobody was listening because they were busy eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. And then Jesus says, let me give you another illustration. Just likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. Remember, Lot lived in Sodom. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur, fire and brimstone, rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The Bible talks about destruction of the unbelieving world. In fact, here, here's a, a prophet that, the question would be, when's the last time you read Zephaniah? Um, but look what Zephaniah says. Chapter 1, verse 2. God says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away birds of the heavens and fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. A day of utter destruction is coming, but most will be unprepared because of distraction, right? What are they distracted with? They're distracted with eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage and selling and planting and building. Now, what I want you to notice is that these things are not necessarily sinful. You need to eat and drink. You need to get married. Right? You need to, to, to work your job. Right? But here's the problem. In their preoccupation with life, they never stopped to ask the basic questions that you are required to ask as a human. You know, even, even Socrates, who lived before Christ, said uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. And the basic questions that philosophers have, have raised throughout the history of man is this. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I? Where am I going? All right. 
if you seriously ask those questions, you have to discover God. You have to uh, figure out that you were created by him and you must live in harmony with him. The problem is that today, just like back then, we live in a secular mindset. Secular meaning uh, some people might acknowledge the existence of God, but he really has no importance in my life. All right? So what this means is that some people can live their entire lives eating and drinking, watching Netflix, watching sports, maybe building a business, maybe doing quite well, but never asking, why am I here? Um, I'm going to pick on Josh a little bit. There, we kind of make fun of Josh because it is the third littlest one. He just did whatever the other two were doing. And there were a couple times when um, we were in the car and, you know, about an hour in, Josh's head would pop up from the back and he'd say, where are we going? And one time we said, Josh, we're, we're going on vacation. What? Nobody told me, all right? Like, he was just living life. Or, uh, okay, so, haha, Josh. Um, or think of a, of a pet. Your, your pet just lives. There's my bowl. There's my leash. These, these are my humans. I don't know how I got here, I guess, I'm, but I'm just living life. That's the way so many people are. Unless you figure out, and I'm talking even the kids, the little kids who are watching, youth, those of you in the prime of your life, those at the end of your life. Why are you here? And unless you figure out, and I, I don't mean to insult you, but unless you figure out that you are a creature created by a creator, and your purpose is to know him, and to know him, you need something fixed, your sin problem. And that God did something to fix that sin problem. He sent Christ to pay for your sin. And, and the whole purpose of life is to be forgiven, to know him, to live in him. Until that happens, you're wasting your life. And who knows, the Lord could come back could come, come back today, and you're going to miss it because of Netflix and your paycheck and all these things that aren't necessarily sinful, but they miss the purpose of life. Now, let me, let me keep going here. Number seven, your, uh, your attitude needs to be one of determination as you look forward to the coming of Christ. It says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Don't even go to get your iPad. Don't get your wallet. Don't get your glasses, right? Those are pretty much like when I, uh, the older I get, that's all I, I need. I actually have a, a very small, I need keys to drive something. I need uh, my phone. And I need some form of sunglasses or eyeglasses, and I can't find them most of the time. Um, so it's like, don't even get those essentials. Just flee. 
Now, this raises an, an interesting question. If Jesus is talking about the cataclysmic return of him from, from the sky, and we're going to be caught up with him, when would we even have time to go down from the roof to get our phones? When would we, what, what this, we're, we're fleeing, what, what are your, I thought we were going to be zapped up, why the talk of running away? Now, many people believe Jesus is, is yes, talking about his second coming here, but it's being told, it's being taught through the near event of the destruction of Jerusalem that was, was coming in 70 AD, where the Romans came in and they did destroy Jerusalem. Some say up to a million died. Um, when you see those armies flee, okay? Um, or he could just be saying, you know, I just talked about Lot being rescued from Sodom, and he's going to talk about Lot's wife. The fleeing from Sodom, of the, the city of destruction, that's the paradigm. Don't go get your wallet. Just flee. That's the paradigm to think about when I return and as you live throughout this age. With the same de determination, you would flee if your city was being attacked. That needs to be your focus on the Lord. And then he brings up Lot's wife as an illustration of a divided heart. There will be those on the day of deliverance, Okay, on the day of deliverance, who it, it's revealed that their heart really wasn't in it. And he uses Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Remember Lot's wife. What, what was the deal with Lot's wife? Remember, an angel comes to rescue Lot and his family, they grab them by the hands, and as they're fleeing, fire and brimstone is destroying everybody in Sodom. And the Lord, through the angel, says, don't even look back. Keep your eyes on fleeing. And Lot's wife looks back, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Now, you go, wow, that's pretty harsh. You know, just a simple glance back, and God turns you into a pillar of salt. Well, it wasn't just a casual look back to, to see the, the fire coming down. The, the idea is she looked back longingly. In other words, yeah, I want to flee. I don't want I, I to go to hell. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want fire and brimstone. But I sure am going to miss that place. Her heart wasn't sold out. It was kind of in love with, with her old life. It, it would be like the prodigal son. He comes to his senses. He's covered with pig dung. And he realizes it's better in my father's arms. And he, he flees, but midway through, he turns back and he goes, but I'm sure going to miss those pigs. Right? So, so, so use Lot's wife as a gauge to say, am I half-hearted, right? Then the ninth word is the word deliverance. He says, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, delivered, the other left. 
there will be two women grinding on a grinding stone. So these are probably two women from the same family. One will be taken, the other left. So, so believers, you will be rescued. But here's the point of, of, of these two verses. You don't get in on the family pass, right? Um, here Jesus is saying individuals in the same family, some will be delivered, some will be left. Remember his teaching in Matthew, Matthew 10, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. So, so the warning here is, don't say, well, I'm good. I was raised in a Christian family. Or, yeah, my spouse is really into that Bible. I'm, I'm not so much, but I, you know, I guess I'm in. Individually, where are you with the Lord? And then the last thing is doom. By the way, you might be, be say, Pastor, you forgot verse 36. We go from uh, 35 to 37. And that's because most textual scholars believe 36 was added by scribes to, to, uh, to make it match up with Matthew's words. So a scribe probably wrote in an extra sentence there, but most scholars would say 36 is not part of the original, but that's good. Um, 37, and they said to him, where, Lord? Okay, and, and in the context, the, the where is where will they be left? Um, and Jesus said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Where will they be left to? Doom, destruction, and wrath. Um, you'll notice we've gone an entire sermon without a mention of uh, Piper. So here's, here's what he says about this. When the world is ready for judgment, as roadkill is for the vultures, then he will come in great wrath. So, all that to say, two-part coming. He came first time to die for your sins. He will come back a second time, suddenly, quickly. Some in the same family. Some will be rescued. Some will not. Are you ready? You say, how do I know if I'm Have you trusted? Do you trust? Not with a half-hearted trust, but with a full-hearted trust in Jesus as your deliverer, as the lamb who died for your sins and the lion who will come back and rescue you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your dramatic, vivid teaching some of it's hard to understand. Some of it we don't fully understand, but we do understand you're coming back. And Lord, I, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move each person to, to uh, not stay, to not come down from the roof and go inside and get their possessions, but to flee to you. And Lord, then may we have confidence in these, these difficult times uh, where our trust is in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.